That's it. That's what. What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have James Maskell. And James is one of the most visible faces uh, in the world of functional medicine. And so he is the founder of the Functional Forum, which is one of the leading meetups, resources, educational platforms for doctors, physicians, uh, everyone involved in the delivery and spread of functional medicine. And his big idea today is all about the power of community care. And for a lot of people, this may be a really new novel concept. So it was for me, I've been intrigued by the, the growth in functional medicine over the past couple of years uh, through friends of ours, people like Mark Hyman, director of functional medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, Robin Burzen and Parsley Health, and all these efforts to bring functional medicine to more people. But you know, ultimately, the biggest roadblock to the spread of functional medicine, really treating the kind of underlying human and not the symptoms, uh, is just the cost. Is it just not feasible for the masses, low-income communities, to access this type of care? And there's this new burgeoning model of community care, uh, real systemized, accessible format for people to really kind of take control of their health. And uh, James is as knowledgeable as anyone out there on this subject. He's been helping doctors to optimize their practices uh, around the globe for uh, you know, almost 10 years, and uh, he really goes deep on some of the stats about our current healthcare system and why what we are currently doing is truly unsustainable and the real need for a shift in community care and why this type of model is so powerful and how they are really liberating people to kind of redefine how they take control of their health journey and especially chronic illness, which is not only crippling people, but crippling the U.S. economy. And uh, it's a really necessary conversation and may be interested for those of you especially who are just interested in our healthcare system, interested in your own health. But one thing that I thought was really relevant is for those of you who may have had experiences taking care of family members or loved ones and understanding the difficulty of navigating a health journey on your own, uh, having a community there to support you and how to do that is something that is now this system is really making available. So uh, without further ado, here is James Maskell. Welcome back to What's the Big Idea? James, welcome to the studio, my friend. Great to be here with you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And you are coming right off the tails of a trip to Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. Right. And so what was happening in Cleveland that you can talk about? Yeah, so I can't talk about everything, but I can say I was on um, Dr. Mark Hyman's podcast, uh, which comes out November 11th or November 6th, and um, which is uh, the doctor's pharmacy. And talking about kind of what we're going to be talking about here today was really awesome. It's the second time. In fact... You know, a lot of this started a year ago when I went to Cleveland for the first time on our bus tour and saw what they were doing at Cleveland Clinic. And yeah, I had a couple of other meetings with major brands with tens of thousands of locations across the country that, you know, see a new future for medicine and want functional medicine. So it was a pretty epic trip. And here in New York for a couple of days, seeing some friends and coming to see you and uh, yeah, heading back tonight. Beautiful. So tell me a little bit more about your journey to medicine 
and where you first found your connection and passion for that sector? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up as the weird kid who um, did natural medicine, right? And I didn't realize it was weird. Like I had a homeopath and a chiropractor and I thought that was just what medicine was. And then I turned up at school and realized like no one had heard of a chiropractor. Um, and my mom was the only mother in school who insisted that she'd be notified before I'd be given antibiotics. And then I, you know, uh, that was just a very interesting moment because my mom with no medical history had sort of predicted the downside of overuse of antibiotics by 20 years. Mm. And it just stuck in my head. Like, how did she know? Like, especially as the, you know, things started coming out, like don't use too many antibiotics. It's not good. It's like, how did my mom know? So I had like a rebellious phase where I thought I needed to be like an investment banker. And I just was trying to get the best. Well, tell people what you mean when you say the overuse of antibiotics. Yeah. So, you know, back in 1985 or 1990, when I was five or 10 years old, there was no thought that there was anything bad that could happen from using the most valuable drug that had ever been made, right? The antibiotics changed the course of history. You know, before antibiotics, if you get a little cut on a battlefield, you're dying. Like there's no way out. And then suddenly, you know, we start living instead of 40 years on average to 80 years on average because, you know, we have an ability to arrest the progress of acute disease of infection and trauma-based infection. And so, so, you know, so as time goes on and people start using them more and more, eventually there's a moment where people like, hang on, there are some other like knock on effects of putting these like unbelievably strong killing machines into the body consistently. And in some cases it's showing up as you know, asthma and autoimmune disease, digestive disorders, like a lot of these chronic conditions are are coming off the back of overuse of antibiotics. Never mind, there are now like microbial infections that are resistant to antibiotics. Like, and if you want to get one, you have to go to a hospital, you know, where there's, you know, where where they they proliferate. So there was like more of a start of an ecological understanding to mm. microbes. It's not just they're bad and we should kill them. It's like there's a balance and we're disrupting the balance and there's going to be consequences to that balance. And I think that was the core understanding that my mum knew. Mm. Like she understood that, that there was going to be like every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? And that there was going to be some consequences for this. She was also hanging around with chiropractors and people that like, understood holism and so yeah so in the 90s and particularly in the 2000s you know it starts becoming clear that like we are overusing antibiotics it's a clear and present and imminent threat to society as a whole and i'm just sitting there going like hang on a minute like i was the only kid in school that gave a shit about this you know and and i just was like what what's going on so at this time I'm like following my career. I do university. I did economics with a health focus and I moved to, I'm, I'm living in London. I got the best paid job that I could get, which is like, I'm a trader on the trading floor of HSBC in London. And through a, a few different sort of surrogate moments, I sort of realized like either I'm the banker with this like weird history of growing up in community and, you know, having a weird kind of health, um, you know, history of like what kind of practitioners I use that I still use to this day, or, you know, 
maybe something that I learned in growing up is a solution to like what seems to be one of the world's most vexing problems, which is the cost of chronic disease. And I'm seeing that through the lens of the companies that I'm like adjusting for, right? When I'm looking at portfolio companies, um, you know, through work, but I'm also seeing it you know, in like my degree was kind of in health economics and I see like the cost of chronic disease. I see life, um, you know, the, the ever expanding, um, you know, life expectancy starting to like flatten out and, you know, showing the signs that it might start going down for the first time in human history. And I'm like, maybe this is me. And so, yeah, I just, I quit my job. I moved to America. I luckily had a passport because I was born in Colorado and um, I got involved on the front lines of health creation and wanted to like see with my own eyes what was happening. And so when you say that you got it on the front lines, where did you first invest your energy and start out? So I moved to Georgia, right? Of all places. So literally investment banker on the, you know, on the trading floor of the world's largest bank in London. Now I live in Georgia, a little town called Gainesville, Georgia, which is like a tiny town about an hour north of Atlanta. And I'm working in a clinic that my cousin has convinced me is the future of medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's basically integrative medicine delivered in a spa environment. And they, my cousin had been in the spa industry for 10 years. Uh, he'd run day spas and he had been in the, he's, he brought the first natural skincare line to America called Jalique. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd done work experience for him. I knew he knew what he was doing. I kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to make my own stuff. I wanted to like have an impact through, you know, my own creative ideas, but I had no idea what to do. And investment banking training had no, no real you know, crossover into being an entrepreneur at all. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to go and learn from him. I'm going to go and work in this business to see what happens. And it's and wait, a, when you say integrative medicine. So for someone who's running spas, who then gets into this field, you're probably going to use a lot of words today that yeah. I'm going to check you on because yeah, yeah. I'd love, you know, to use your breadth of knowledge of the healthcare system yeah. and just the body to like bring people up to speed. A lot of people who are learning some of these terms well, for look, the first time. Yeah. So there's a lot of terms that, that use and, and sometimes they're used interchangeably, but let's just, let's just say that there is a new emerging way of thinking about how to treat chronic disease. And so instead of treating the symptoms, we look for the cause of the condition, right? Instead of um, the patient just like taking the drugs and just going about their lives, they actively participate in creating health. So they actively try and sleep better. They actively try and exercise. They watch what they eat. They eat an anti-inflammatory diet. They sleep well. Like they, they practice the fundamentals of health creation. And they also see the body as an interconnected system, right? If you have a neurologist and a endocrinologist, right? You have two specialists, but if the degree, if the issue that you have is somewhere in between those two, neither of them are particularly well suited to dealing with it because the, you know, neurologist doesn't read the endocrinologist journals. He's a specialist. So there's this like kind of generalism that's needed to understand how the different systems interconnect and, you know, into integrative medicine, a whole person approach is, is one way. And integrative just means you integrate the standard of care, which is drugs 
drugs with non-standard of care ideas like I just shared. Um, functional medicine is another word that I came to a little bit later, which is sort of like a subsection of integrative medicine where everyone's doing it the same. It's sort of like a an operating system where there's a whole group of people who have decided to, you know, who follow the same kind of protocol. Yeah. And um, Well, tell me, so how about go back to the clinic in Georgia yeah. and then we'll get to functional medicine yeah. whenever it pops up. Yeah, so I'm working there. And yeah, it's Georgia, right? It's Georgia in 2005. So I'm the only one with the English accent, right? And I'm working at this day spa and there's this naturopathic doctor working there. And I start to witness things that I really knew that no one else knew about, like the reversal of chronic disease, right? Type 2 by diabetes, lupus, autoimmune diseases, like people who have it and then they don't have it. And people who visibly transform over a period of six months in front of my eyes. Like, oh, I remember when you first came in with your cane and now you're vibrant. Mm. Like I didn't, you know, I knew that people knew that that didn't know that that was possible. And I knew that like I could see it happening in front of my eyes. But the most important thing I think that I was learning was the operations of running this business because, because they had run day spas for 10 years, they they really knew how to run the business. Like the operations manual was six inches thick. Every process was documented. And I didn't know it at the time, but this whole industry had no idea of how to do any of that. But yeah, so I'm running the business. I'm in like sales half the time where I'm going to like the country club and meeting with business owners about their health costs and, you know, and spa days for their, you know, secretaries or, you know, administrative assistance day or like whatever day we had and selling these things and getting the word out about this new business it's still there it's called the spa on green street it's a beautiful place and they're like one nice street in gainesville georgia which is kind of like the old south mm. meeting the good old boys and like just trying to you know work it out and then two days a week i'm like working operationalizing the clinic and we have spa services and they have fitness and um i meet my girlfriend that now wife there and we're kind of working together a little bit and it was you know it was a really really incredible experience and definitely a huge culture shock but uh you know it was it was fun being the english guy you know because i was like a novelty totally and so how does that evolve into kind of like the next step and how you start scaling yeah. out of just Georgia and country club? Yeah. So my cousin had bought this supplement company. There's this whole supplement world that most people don't know about where there's lines of supplements that you can only buy through a doctor, right? That you can't buy in a store and you can't buy online. And most people don't know about it, but it's a, it's a, it's a, big industry by itself. And so from then, um, I get sort of transferred from the spa and now I'm a sales rep for that company. I'm the third sales rep and my territory is Virginia to Maine, mm. right? So I got 14 states in the whole Northeast. I'm living in Georgia and I start, um, I start, I go take my first trip up to here. So I go to Boston. I got a friend in Boston. We get a baseball game. I go and see some clients in, in um, in, um, Connecticut. And then I come down to New York and, you know, part of the reason why I joined the bank, right, right out of university is like, I want to work in New York. I want to live in New York. I want to be in New York. Like I just had this draw to New York the whole time. And when my territory was New York, I was like, okay, I'm in. So I come to New York and I'm like, this is awesome. I'm loving it. I'm meeting all these, like my clients are chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopathic doctors, like some MDs, just a few, but um, just a range of all these other practitioners. And I come home after my first 
trip back to Georgia and I'm like, hey, Rachel, who's my wife, I'm like, well, my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, we should just do like a five month road trip and meet all my clients. Cause I already had some customers there because the company had been going for a few years, but they just never had a rep up there. So I'm like, what if we went five months and we just met all of them and just got the car on road trip? And she's mm -hmm. like, hell yeah, I'm in. So I'm on commission too, right? So like, I realized like I should just build this as quickly as possible. So I do it. So we come up, we get a, like a summer accommodation for students in New Haven, Connecticut. Couldn't afford to live in New York yet. <laughs> we get the train down every so often, but I'm like for the next three years, hustling, making yeah. 40 outbound calls a day, making appointments, going to meet people, making sales. And in retrospect, getting the most in-depth understanding of the industry that I think sales is the best way to learn. Because ultimately you have an N equals a thousand experience with the industry that most other people are having an N equals one or N equals five. Like if you're a doctor, you know your practice, you go to conferences, you speak to other people a couple times a year. I'm in it every day. Yeah. And I'm seeing the range of people that are into this medicine. I'm seeing like what kind of practices they offer, whether they take insurance, how they run their practices and very quickly work out that like, I will never understand all of the intricacies of the medicine and also the human body. Like just in the last 10 years, since I started doing this, the way that we understand chronic illness has evolved rapidly in the last 14 years. You know, I didn't even have a baseline in healthcare or in, in clinical care. I'm sitting at the back of all these conferences and listening, but I realized like no one knows how to run the business side of things. So, and I do because the spa was just magically the best run practice that has I've ever seen, even to this day. Right. To this day, I've never seen anyone operationalize a clinic like that first one. Yeah. So I just, I'm the practice management guy and I'm like, Hey, I'll help you, but you got to buy my stuff. Yeah. And I'm crushing it right. Three years. I'm crushing it a year and a half in. I'm like, okay, we can move to New York. So we moved to the upper West side yeah. and I start doing my thing in New York. And I realized like, you know, again, straight away, like I love New York and I'm making it, you know, making it happen. But I also start to realize, like, I'm not going to make my impact in the world as a representative of any company, yeah. right? It's my own, it's time for my own jam. What yeah. is that? So in 2010, I start my own practice management company. We're teaching doctors how to run the practice. We're teaching them about how to use the internet. This is 2009, 2010. So it's like, oh, how do you do an email autoresponder to like educate your patients in a systematic way without just telling them stuff one-on-one? -on -one? And... Um, yeah, that's like the beginning of, you know, my, my journey to understand. Um, so I start that and then also I start going to conferences and at the conferences, I realized the first conference I go to is that what I'm selling is the future, but it might be like 20 years in the future. And there's an emerging future that's like right on the doorstep, which is functional medicine to come back to what I said before. And functional medicine is just scientific enough to get actual doctors to want to do it, right? There's enough science. And I see Jeff, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who's the godfather. I see Dr. Mark Hyman speak. This is like 2010. And I'm like, this is about to happen. Yeah. I want in on this. So that's it. You know, that's uh, like, yeah, 2011. And so if you were to give people kind of like, and you talked a little bit about kind of how that built on the back of, of integrative medicine, but so to help people understand again, a little more deeply with functional medicine, and you talked about it, it's like this non-symptomatic treatment of the person. Yeah. So can you help people understand functional medicine? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if you go and see, I'll just explain what it's like to go and see a functional medicine Please, doctor, yeah. you go there and instead of just 
you've been listened to for 14 seconds before you're cut off and given a prescription, you get listened to for an hour and a half and you go deep into your health history from even before you were born. Like, do you have a C-section? Like, you know, what was your life like? Trauma history? What were key moments in your life? Like, what was your antibiotic use early? Like going through and just like really digging into everything and looking for like, um, you know, these sort of root causes of the chronic illness and also starting to understand, you know, that the body breaks down over time, right? The core processes of the body break down. And before you get a disease, you get dysfunction. And essentially what you're looking at in functional medicine is understanding the gap between health and disease. And there's a gap and the body is breaking down and eventually it breaks down and you get a symptom. And in Western medicine, you'd be like, okay, cover up that symptom, get rid of whatever is coming up. In functional medicine, it's like really understanding what broke down in what order. It's like the medicine of why, yeah. right? So you're really starting to understand that and then the treatment protocol is going to be based on building function yeah. right so it's like you know looking at um those kind of things like digestive health you know around the same kind of time as i'm coming in is the first understanding of the microbiome which is like the trillions of microbes that live inside of us and now we're starting to realize like we're in ecology too and this is kind of like come back to what my mom was you know saying is like if you put antibiotics 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 you kill all the good guys and the bad guys that are microbially resistant stay and then you get an infection and you wonder why it happened you know this this was starting to happen at the same time so yeah the functional medicine approach is like a root cause root cause approach but the biggest transformation between functional medicine and 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 western medicine is in western medicine the doctor is the most important person in the room right because the doctor has the prescription pad and he does the diagnosis and he works out what you have and he gives the drug in functional medicine. The patient is the most important person in the room because they're the people that are actually going to recreate the health. Mm. They're the people that are going to transform. They're the people that are going to change their behavior. They're the people that are going to like decide what to eat. They're the people going to decide what time to go to bed. And they're the people that are going to take the supplements at the right time and build the function back up and make the changes in the lifestyle and changes to the environment that are going to lead to the transformation of health. So there's some fundamental differences in how it goes down. And yeah. So when I saw Dr. Bland and Dr. Hyman. Can we pause there for a second actually? Yeah. Cause it's so, it's so important. Like one of the things that we oftentimes talk about is the, and that was beautifully kind of like laid out. Thank you for that. Um, is this idea of the identity model of change of like oftentimes if we're trying to create new behaviors in people, it's like you can identify the results you want, which is like, okay, so I am have this achy part of my body or it's like, I have a cane and a walker. And so you can think about, so I want to be healthy. I want to be able to walk. And then, okay, so what are the behaviors that are going to get me there? And a doctor is going to come in and prescribe this medicine and take care of it. And in a way, like if you go into a doctor with that kind of mindset, right, it's like, where someone else is going to do this for you and you don't actually shift your mindset in terms of taking any sort of responsibility or believing you have agency to do it. It's like, you're just going to revert back to old behaviors and things that ultimately create the situation that you don't want. And so it, it is, you know, a seemingly like surface level, simple shift, but a really massive one to take people into the medical context with the idea that you really are responsible for your own health and we're kind of guiding you, but it yeah. is you who's going to make this happen ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's one big idea, but it's not the only big idea <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about today. Totally. But yeah. All right. So keep going from there. Yeah. So then I just realized, okay, 
okay, this is, you know, the functional medicine is going to be the sort of terminology that creates this paradigm shift in medicine, right? And Mark's out there, he's speaking at TED Med. He's like, he's galvanizing physicians. I go to the conference and I see 500 physicians in a room, not acupuncturists and chiropractors, but doctors getting it and fired up and wanting to do it. And also at the same time, I get to start speaking on stages myself because now I'm like a guy who is the kind of young guy teaching people how to run a practice with technology and I get um, an opportunity to speak in front of on in front of stage in, in on stage in front of doctors and realize like one I'm good at that like I'm good at I can make jokes that these guys understand like no one understands this industry better than I do I've seen a million things and also you know the the internet in connecting with with this industry is allowing possibilities that had never been possible before. Mm. So yeah, I do my first talk and I get, this is 2011 and 2013, you know, years go by now, I'm still like, I'm the manager of the supplement company. So I'm hiring reps across my whole territory and I'm the manager and I'm doing this practice management piece on the side and I'm speaking in front of conferences. And I keep going to these conferences where like Dr. Bland and Hyman are speaking and I see everyone fired up and I'm looking around, I'm like, why isn't anyone videoing this? Like, why are the only people that are getting this sitting here listening to it? And, you know, listening to a lecture is like the worst way to learn. And what the hell are we all doing here? This is crazy. So my partner and I, my business partner, we had done events for the supplement company, all kinds of weird events for years in New York, in like yoga studios. We put on these little events about like how to use the supplements. And we learn a lot of like little things along the way about how to make a good event and how to make sure that like one bad speaker doesn't derail your event and how to set up speakers and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of 2013, we just decide we're going to like change the conference game and we're going to stream. We're going to use streaming. We're going to, um, we're going to, well, we're going to, first of all, we're going to start a meetup in New York for doctors that are interested in functional medicine. It didn't exist. And we're like, there's enough of them here. They don't get together more than once a year at this conference. Let's have a monthly meetup and let's start it. And we're going to do like a meetup, people connect, and then we're going to do a stage show and I'm going to be the host and we're going to make awesome content. So the first functional forum is February, 2014. And we have Daft Punk as the intro music and I come up on stage and I'm doing my thing and I get now to choose the people who put on stage. Right. So I get to choose the clinical speakers. So Ted talks are big and I'm like, man, we should just give everyone 15 minutes. Don't give everyone an hour. If they're boring, like the whole show is done, we'll give them 15 minutes. And the first guest that I put on stage is Dr. Kelly Brogan, who's become a friend. She uses the supplements that I was using and she's dynamite dynamite like so awesome so articulate super good looking i hustle the first 60 people like literally to make the first event it was on a wednesday the friday before i had to drive six hours back from virginia to uh, see one of my clients and i called 240 doctors on the way home and invited them all for free to come we had 65 show up and we videoed it and it was awesome and and we put it up online and I was just like, this is going to be great. And then there was some so much serendipity that happened. So between the first and the second one, we set up the second one a month later, Seth Godin put on an event in the space that we did. And he's only ever put on this event once. You can find it on Skillshare, but it's called How to Be an Impresario. Uh And it was like how to bring together audience, talent and content into, you know, into a business. 
And he just laid out the master plan for us. Like he was like, do streaming, like keep it intimate, make sure that the audience is part of the talent. Like if the audience grows and grows and grows people, you know, it doesn't matter. Keep the audience small and then use streaming to like get the word out. And we, my partner and I were just sitting there, first of all, going like, this is so serendipitous it's in the place where we did it. Helen Mills theater. And we just, you know, that was the beginning. And the first time the stream worked was the fourth episode. And that was in May. And in that episode, Mark Hyman comes on and announces that the Cleveland clinic is going to do functional medicine. Yeah. And this is the first moment where it's like, holy shit, the most storied medical an academic institution in the country is going to take a bet on this new way of operating. And Mark's in the middle of it and he's announcing it on my show. And I think the industry was like, who's this guy and what's this? <laughs> and like, I'm the host and I'm doing my practice management bits in between. I'm putting young, cool, aspirational doctors on stage, not the old guard. Like I'm trying to make it like seem cool to be a functional medicine doctor. Yeah. And it just, it took off. Yeah. Wow, man. And so Tell me a little bit. So when you, so you had this kind of like front row seat to so much of the innovation that was happening in healthcare. And so, you know, we're, we're about kind of like halfway through our time that we have for today. And so I'm curious of, as you start kind of leading us towards what your big idea is today and what you're currently working on the book for, what, what were some of the, the big innovations? So you get into functional medicine. And so what were some of the major steps that brought you to where you're at today and where your current focus is? Yeah. So first, you know, we built the biggest community worldwide in functional medicine. Like to this day, we do a show the first Monday of every month. We've done over 70. We got physician meetups on six continents. At one point we had like four or 500 going at a time where they would get together to watch the show, you know, became kind of like the most visible person in the industry. Cause I'm the guy holding the microphone and introducing the show and the content and getting to create it. Um, but you know, it's interesting. So three months before, so the, the big thing is like, okay, functional medicine is awesome. Cleveland clinic starting to do it, but in general, it's unaffordable to the population, right? It's rich people medicine because these doctors are outside of insurance and they're delivering amazing care. And there are some innovators that are trying to make it slightly less expensive, but it's always cash. It's never inside the health plan. And it's not really like affordable or accessible to most people, especially yeah, that's, people that's kind of One it. of the thoughts that I wanted to push back on there is what, when you talk about your kind of template experience, when you go into a doctor yeah. is they come in, what's your thing? And then they write you a prescription. Yeah. And then my thought about that is like, so these doctors don't become doctors because they want to treat people that way, yeah. hopefully. And so with the idea being that, you know, what's happening there where doctors don't have the time where functional medicine is not feasible for the masses because of how many sick people there are and how many doctors we have and how much money we actually have to, to serve these people. So like what's, what's happening there. And like you're talking about right now that this is rich people medicine. So you know, what's, what's happening. It's look, it's the first iteration of functional medicine, right? Yeah. If you're a doctor in Western medicine, your primary care, you're just trying to pay off your debts. You're heavily traumatized by your education and you've got a job and you've just got to follow the system. Yeah. And that's why doctor suicide is so high. That's why, you know, doctors for the first time, multi-generations of doctors telling their kids, don't be a doctor because being a doctor is not as cool as it used to be. Mm. And it's, you know, you get burned out by the system. You have this like moral um, dilemma of like, you know, that it's not what you were here to do and 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 you know and and yet you know if you want to break free right and you want to do a 90 minute deep dive with someone about their care you can't do that in an insurance environment insurance doesn't pay you're gonna go broke i remember i was at uh, i gave a talk at the cleveland clinic 
a couple of years ago on basically kind of like uh, employee recognition and gratitude Amazing. and how to create that type of culture where doctors, nurses, admins are more openly sharing their appreciation for each other and patients. And one of the speakers who came on before me, I'm forgetting his name now, but he's at the Mayo Clinic and he specializes in burnout research. Okay. And he was, I remember the statistic was 54% of practicing doctors experience burnout. Like currently, and 100%. it's just like, what a crazy statistic to talk about. 54% of the people that are responsible for delivering, you know, life and death care, mm -hmm. experiencing burnout. hundred percent. So like my first book that I wrote in 2016 was called The Evolution of Medicine. And it was called Join the Movement to Solve Chronic Disease and Fall Back in Love with Medicine. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to bring doctors out of the system, start their own functional medicine practice and start to deliver to the community. And also here were some strategies that you could make it affordable to most people. Um, you know, in the second uh, forum, like a year before the beginning of Parsley Health, Robin's on there talking about what she wants to do and look at the trajectory that she's gone just on. Raised like yeah, 25 just raised mil. Exactly. This series week, yeah. B 25 mil. And she's like, I'm super proud of her. And like that journey is kind of, we've been on together. Like I hosted the beginning of Parsley Health LA at my house in LA when I moved there. So this whole journey happens over the next, next few years. But there was a moment before I started the functional forum at that conference that I spoke at where I heard about a different way of doing functional medicine, which was what they called a group visit, mm -hmm. where instead now of doing this one-on-one, -on -one, a group of people would come together and they would learn about functional medicine together. They would learn about what they could do to like reduce their stress and eat better and whatever as a group. And they would have this like peer-to-peer -peer engagement. And I was like, that feels right, right? I was, you know, brought up in community. Like that just felt to me like, and also you could do it on insurance. And instead of having a seven minute, if 16 people were going to have a five minute visit, why not have in 90 minutes, just them all come into the same room together. They all had diabetes anyway. And it's all the same messages. The doctor didn't have the same thing to say every time. Let's just get them in a group and see what happens. And it, it just felt good. And actually in 2015, I did my TEDx talk and it was on community, not medicine creates health. And I talked about group visits there. So that's like four years ago. Can you paint a picture of like, so how you would facilitate that? So for someone who's never seen it before, it's like difficult to imagine how you get a group of people into the doctor's office at the same time. So give me an example of like where like that's actually happening. Well, so yeah, Dr. Saxena, who I heard speak there, said it very clearly. Like she, it was like necessity was the mother of all invention. She had six, you know, she had all these diabetes patients. She was seeing them for five minutes at a time running this family medicine center, but she was learning about functional medicine and was really struggling on how to implement it in an insurance visit. And so she was like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to put these people in a group. There was some examples of groups being done. Group medicine was not completely new, but I think she was really one of the first people to think about how to do functional medicine in a group setting. and was like, I really want to teach these people who have type two diabetes that what you eat matters, that stress matters, that environmental toxins matter when it comes to type two diabetes and, you know, and sugar regulation. So she's like, okay, your next appointment is coming up here. It's going to be a group appointment. We'll see you then. And people are like, okay, they show up. And in her model, it was kind of a one-off appointment, right? She'd get people together and there's so much efficiency of doing it in a group. One, you educate people, you know, all together and you can do that. She had a two provider model so that, you know, um, she would, 
essentially do like an intro. Then there'd be some education that was happening that would be done by a health coach. And then she would be able to take each person aside for like two minutes at a time during the 90 minute visit and say, hey, do you need to check your medication? The kind of stuff that you need to make it insurance billable. And that was the model. And then she sort of inferred a little bit, which was really, really what got me like thinking was that people started to answer their own questions, right? And the person that had like halfway reversed their diabetes was actually more of an inspiration to the patient who was just starting mm. than the doctor because everyone looks at the doctor and like, you're the picture of health. You never had type two diabetes. What the hell do you know? Mm. Right. And, but this other person who had it and now had reduced their hemoglobin A1C, the marker of type two diabetes, they're like, oh, this person is inspiring to me. And now I want to meet them afterwards and maybe we can be accountability buddies and, and, and also like people would share things in a group that they wouldn't share to their physician. They were more vulnerable in front of a group of strangers than they were to their licensed health professional, which surprised her completely. What surprises me, like how did they facilitate that? What's, what's happening that's enabling people? Because my first instinct is like your doctor's office feels like a very private place. And 100%. what you're sharing is something that's happening just between yeah. you and a doctor. So what's happening in that environment that's liberating that kind of vulnerability? Well, you know, there is examples of like people getting better with group group facilitated care. I mean, look at 12 step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, like these kind of things that are behavioral in nature. Mm. There is some experience of it. So like, if I'm going to talk, if I'm okay to talk about my alcoholism in a group, you know, maybe I'm okay to talk about my type two diabetes in a group. It's kind of the same thing in a certain way and and so you know it, but it's an experiment it's like she had to do it because her pa went on maternity leave and she had four thousand patients and no plan right so she's just like i'm gonna do it and guess what she loves it too mm. because she starts to feel the weight of like all these patients come off her shoulders because the the weight is being more evenly distributed around the circle and people are loving it and people are coming to the groups like she starts putting on groups not for disease but for root cause i'm going to do a um, visit on like um leaky gut or stress or whatever and they're like i want to come to the group so she starts to see that certain patients like really enjoy it and find this valuable so it's stuck in my head and, you know, I talked about it on my TED talk, but I also realized that for this to have its full potential, for this to reach its full potential, it had to be more than one visit, right? It had to be a series of visits where people would get to know each other and that community would really, you know, really start to develop. So, you know, fast forward a few years and, you know, I'm on a bus tour in 2018 around the country and I go finally to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. I go and visit it and I take the cameras. We're going to make an episode about of the show. It's like episode 58 or something last December. And I go and see what's going on. And lo and behold, they've created a new model of delivering functional medicine where before like they dangle the carrot of Mark Hyman, right? You want to see Mark Hyman? You want to come and get the best doctor in functional medicine? You want to come and see him? What do you have to do? You have to go through a 10-week group program called functioning for life yeah. that's run by health coaches, dietitians, and physicians assistants. And in that 10 weeks, you're going to learn everything you need to know. And you're going to build a community of people that, um, that you can call friends and that you can build that. And I was just like, I saw it and I was like, this is it. This is definitely it. Like, this is the way that's going to work. The results are spectacular. They started to catch, you know, get data, you know, between half and 66% of people, maybe like definitely half, but possibly 66% of people who go through that 10 week, they don't need to see the doctor at the end because mm. they're better. 
And that was last October. And at that moment, I was just like, I need to learn everything there is to learn about group medicine. I want to interview anyone who's doing it. Now I've got the biggest email list in functional medicine. So I'm like, hey, I want to know who's doing functional medicine. Write back to me. Tell me if you're doing it. If you're doing groups, I want to know. I want to see. So it's a voyage of discovery. And I start doing interviews. It turns into a podcast series. The podcasts are profound. Mm. Um, this year, I went to a conference called Integrative Medicine for the Underserved, where there's a lot of stuff on group visits. Turns out a lot of people are doing it differently in their own little silos without making too much noise. And it's really awesome everywhere it's being done. And it's the most awesome where it's the poorest people, mm. where the people who need this the most and what I start to realize and what I learn from it is that in a certain way, what's happening is they're treating loneliness, right? Is that loneliness is the biggest driver of all cause mortality. You know, that lonely people end up in the medical system. There's budget allocated for taking care of them. And the the, the starting of these new groups you know, around treat and treating loneliness by introducing people who want to get healthy to each other is awesome yeah. and is and is working and i was like i gotta put this in a book i gotta like bring this and together also not being hyperbolic and i've heard you talk about it before but when you talk about the impact of loneliness on mortality of being more impactful than with smoking like two cigarettes or two packs of cigarettes yeah. a day obesity so literally like when we are experiencing loneliness you know increased levels of cortisol decreased ability to deal with emotional trauma kind of the symptoms are profound and and super detrimental and so you know when you talk about kind of exploring this and i'm curious so how does this scale to the people who need it most when you talk about especially those underserved people who you know wouldn't be able to afford rich people functional medicine so how does this scale out of just the hospital into communities where people can really access it. Well, here's the beauty. It's like integrative and functional medicine done one-on-one -on -one is neither affordable for the patient or profitable for the organization that's delivering it, right? Mm -hmm. So many integrative medicine centers, one here in New York, Continuum Center, went out of business because guess what? You can make more money doing heart stents than you can sitting people in a room and talking about their root cause of their condition. Yeah. So, you know, there's littered examples across medicine where, you know, this root cause approach, this patient first approach has failed because it's not profitable to deliver. And yet group visits are affordable and profitable. They're profitable to deliver because guess what? You have a health coach for 16 people and you're billing 16 people's insurance mm. for like a 15 minute visit, but like they're there for 90 minutes. It's just an extended visit with all these people, two hours. So yeah, that's how it scales. Like major medical institutions, like following like the Cleveland Clinic now has a program called Functioning for Life that they are, that is going to be like the stamp of approval on yeah. this as the way to do it. It's got the data to show that it works. And that's kind of the other reason I was like, this is going to happen. And I want to be like, I've spent the last five years selling doctors on leaving the system and starting functional practices. I want to spend the next five years convincing medical systems that this is the way to go to solve all of the hardest problems in medicine simultaneously. One, chronic disease. Two, cost escalation. Three, physician shortage. Four, physician burnout. Five, isolation. Six, mental health. Like, or everything. And in the book, I basically showcases that, like, every vertical is being solved. Type 2 diabetes, trauma, you know, heart disease. There's, you know, each of these areas are being solved 
by community-based groups because I got a window into all of them because I'm asking my community who's doing it and I'm interviewing all these people. And so, you know, that's that's the big idea. Yeah. Uh, the book is called The Community Cure. The tagline is Transforming Health Outcomes Together. Yeah. And it's basically a, a sort of a history of groups. Um, you know, I, I use the same kind of tactic from my first book, which is to use the structure of a hero's journey to be able to convince the reader that this should be the plan. The first book was convincing doctors to go functional. The second one is convincing health systems to go functional through groups Yeah, because the hero's journey allows you to deal with people's like objections. Like the first thing you said, privacy, right? It's everyone's first objection, but I don't want to talk about my shit in front of other people and doctors do that. Well, guess what? I can talk about privacy in that situation. Why do we care so much about privacy? Why do we have so much privacy in medicine, the Hippocratic oath? And then like unpicking that argument in a certain way to show like, hey, we're in the biggest growth of chronic illness in human history. We've got to start thinking differently about how we're doing things. Yes. So you what, know, is, yeah, what, are, what are the other big objections that come up for you? I like one of my favorite things to understand of like when you're putting forth a big idea, yep. a massive shift to a lot of people that are used to doing it the yep. same way for many, many years. What are the other big objections that people oftentimes have? To- so I think the doubts is privacy. There's a whole chapter on doubts. There's also, there's the goal like... A lot of people simultaneously are coming to the conclusion that, you know, we should be moving away from the era of the group in terms of like the new science shows that if you have a room full of people with type 2 diabetes, they have more they don't have as much in common as you think, right? They actually have more different. Like the reason why these people have type 2 diabetes is different for all of them. Mm. And so we should be in the era of personalized medicine, personalization. Mm. So I deal with, okay, are group visits and personalized medicine at odds or is actually a layer of empowerment through groups necessary for everyone to even think about participating in personalized medicine, which is the answer. Um, (laughs) And so like do that. But then there's this, this other chat chapter where I talk about the challenges and there are challenges if you've never run a group before, right? You have to, in a certain way, go from being the expert to being a facilitator and being like having the answers come from the group. And some of the most beautiful stories are the fact that doctors realize that it's better if they don't have the answers. It's better if the answers come from the group, especially if you don't live in the same zip code as the people who you're serving. And that like, you don't know what it's like to be a Latino who's facing racial injustices in the system every day. Mm. So like, don't pretend that you do. Don't come like with all the answers, ask around. And what happens is people solve each other's problems. The social determinants of health, which are driving, you know, this the, the whole, you know, everything in, in like dealing with the, the roughest part, medicine and uh, those kind of things, those, a lot of them, not housing maybe is like harder to solve and, and those kind of things, but a lot of things, transportation and basics and, you know, can be solved by groups if they get together. And I've seen it in, I went to Oakland and I witnessed this, you know, group coming together and it was so magical. Like a guy who's basically like homeless is now like, and never trusted anyone is now like, well, and wanting to help other people on their journey. And it's awesome. It was so amazing to witness. I went to so many places where it was being done and, you know, I'm just, I'm really 
like humbled and honored to be able to be able to be to bear witness to this yeah. and also to share it in a way that to do it and there are challenges you know so there are challenges chapter four is all on the challenges there's challenges of facilitating a group like what goes wrong when you start putting together a group i mean you've run groups you know there are challenges to being a facilitator there's challenges to keeping people in check there's challenges to have the right energy come through the group and have it be positive and supportive and not like a mutual you know disempowerment group yeah right totally. so you know those, those kind of challenges there's some doubts for sure but there's mentors and there's transformation there's so many examples of it working who who are the institutions that don't want something like this to exist so if we look at some of kind of like the legacy healthcare institutions or medical institutions are there any of them that would be resistant to this type of shift it's a great question i mean look getting people off medication is not a great topic for the pharmaceutical industry. And that's like one of the themes of the book is, you know, how do we get people off metformin for type two diabetes and dependence on insulin? Like how do you rebuild insulin sensitivity so that people are free of the medical system, right? That's not particularly exciting to them. Mm. The mental health, you know, we've got a whole piece in there on, um, you know, tapering off psychiatric medication. That's a pretty like hard thing to do, but there are, there's innovation happening into it. That's very community driven. Um, you know, hospitals systems are here to make money, right? Even, I don't know if you'd be following the news, but non-profit hospitals, even more than for-profit hospitals. It's no, what crazy. Do you mean? Say, say more. I don't there's this whole thing in Indiana where it just became clear that like non-profit hospitals were like gouging everyone and Taking putting up the cost of care and whatever. Like non-profit doesn't equal like, um, uh, you know, it's not equal to yeah, know, purely philanthropic. philanthropic. Giving, no, yeah. they they're gouging everyone. Taking a tax break, you know, taking tax break, paying each other ridiculously, and and whatever, driving up the cost in Indiana as an example. So those two, um, you know, I don't know. There there are forces in the world that probably don't want everyone to love each other, <laughs> right? And like and thrive on divisiveness and thrive on, you know, on, on keeping people apart and making everything into a two sided issue. And sometimes when people come together in circle and have different opinions, they end up like empathizing with each other mm -hmm. and starting to build like real community across you know across divisions that have been reinforced by society. And that's you know that's why I'm here, right? This is what I'm here to do on this planet. This is why this is so important and I'm so happy to share it. But yeah, I mean, if you are of the belief that those kind of forces exist, you know, with intention, then there may be some resistance on that end. But the good news is, is that like from a hospital point of view and those kind of things, this is profitable to deliver. This is really profitable to deliver. Yeah. And so my message to those groups is like, you want to be innovative, like the Cleveland Clinic, like the Cleveland Clinic's doing it because they cherish innovation and they want to be on the front lines of care and, and changing healthcare. And so they've created this functioning for life model in association with the Institute for Functional Medicine. And it looks like if I have my way, you know, it's going to be, you know, the way that other institutions you know, execute this. And I'm already starting to meet with big medical systems that are like, we've wanted to do this for a long time. We've never seen a way to do it profitably. This sounds reasonable. Let's give it a go. Yeah. And one thing I'd love for you to kind of lay out for people again is just the 
bottom line unsustainability of our current of our current healthcare system. Right? It's like so if you talk about again why something like this is needed, could you just paint that picture for people of how unsustainable our current healthcare system is and why, you know, this type of innovation is necessary to democratize kind of costs across groups of people and Well, I'll take a further step back than just our healthcare system. Like my dad lives in South Africa, my mom lives in England, right? In England you have single payer healthcare, which is everyone thinks will be like a panacea to a lot of people think might be a panacea to situation in England and in America. You to, if you were to break down single payer, single payer is just like the government pays for everything. You don't have to pay for anything, right? That's in the UK. And God bless it for my mom. Like she lives there. She never had to pay anything out of pocket. She's had some medical issues and like, it's a, it's a great blessing in a certain way, but they're running out of money. And they're like, should we privatize? Like, what's the plan here? They don't really have a plan and they're running out of money. The government has to put more billions and billions more. And it's a hot topic. In South Africa, 10 years ago, the number one diagnosis in South Africa is TB, tuberculosis. Mm. It's an infectious disease. In 10 years, now it's type 2 diabetes, right? So you've got this whole shift, this evolution of medicine where, you know, where the disease categories change and we need a completely different approach. So in both of those and again running out of money too everyone's running out of money when you put everyone on chronic disease medication forever guess what it's like really expensive america is the most egregious example right we're up to almost 20 percent of gdp right it's it's like trillions of dollars every year it's heading towards four trillion dollars a year on healthcare, and that's super super unsustainable it makes all of our companies um uncompetitive with foreign because we have to pay you know people's health costs you know you can see medicare medicaid the numbers associated with things like medicare for all are staggering like mm. so massive and so you know that's why that's why there's such a big, big issue. So medical, the medical costs in America are ridiculously unsustainable. Everyone's trying to work out a, a plan for it. And I want to say this just going into 2020, because this is another piece in my book, right? We're at a collective moment in this country where there seems to be two options on how to solve healthcare. You've got the Republican Trump market approach, which is to deregulate. There's some really good ideas in there. Like, yeah, you should make insurance able to be like competitive across state lines because having one insurance company per state isn't working out so well. So there's some good ideas in there, but it's like, okay, there's a market-based solution to solving healthcare here. And then on the Democrat side, if you listen to Bernie or you listen to um, Elizabeth, Warren. You know, Elizabeth Warren, it's like, Medicare for all, the government solution here. And I read an awesome book this year in preparation for my book called The Third Pillar. And the third pillar basically says that the only reason why we look at markets and governments as the only two solutions is because the third pillar in society has been destroyed. And that third pillar is community. Mm. And that ultimately the solution to this problem is not either of those two things. It's the re-emergence of the third pillar. And ultimately it's a great place for the third pillar to emerge is in healthcare. Because as I said, lonely people end up there. Like the destruction of community has led to a point where people are lonely. There's budget already associated with it. But for this community-based revolution in healthcare to reach its full potential, it needs to be disintermediated from healthcare altogether because healthcare has no business creating health. They don't know how to do it. Mm. They don't know how to do it. They've never been trained to do it. And so the most exciting models that I see are happening in communities, not in the healthcare system. And I'm fully invested into it. Like I don't have a therapist. I go to a men's group, right? I don't have a personal trainer. I go to CrossFit because I'm investing in the group model. Like I believe that that's the future. And the most, and you'll see in the book, 
the most exciting models that come in at the least cost are detangled from the healthcare system are just people voluntarily getting together in community because they see the value of it for themselves and it costs nothing to anyone but it's valuable to everyone amen brother well dude that's a, a powerful kind of ribbon on this entire conversation so um you know is there anything else that you really want people to know about this I'm self-publishing this book, yeah. right? And from the 14th to the 18th of January, it's going to be available for free to anyone in the world who has access to Amazon. So you can download it. You can share it with your friends. You can ask your doctor if group visits might be right for you and for them. Like I want, I've made this as a free book. I made this, I, I want to be able to control everything about this group, including like, I want this book to get to everyone. So for those four dates, Amazon lets you have it free for five days. It's going to be free. If you want to pre-order it ahead of time, you can. If you want to listen to it on audiobook, you can. But I would just say like, look, we have an opportunity here to, you know, to put this in front of the people that matter. And already the people that matter are starting to think that this is a good idea, whether it's you know, communities that are exist, churches, this is happening, this is happening in schools, this is happening in self-funded employers that are really great examples of cost-sharing communities. Um, and so there's a lot that we can do uh, in that way. But yeah, I would say like, if you're fired up about this conversation, you know, you can activate change. You can build your own community. You can start your own community. You can join a community. There are already communities that exist that are looking for passionate people who want to help them grow and thrive. This is our moment. This is like 2020. This well, is what has to happen. And you know what I'd probably say is that for a lot of our listeners who tend to be, you know, in their 20s and 40s, um, who might not be in this health journey of a chronic illness, but, you know, who maybe is their parents. Yeah. Right. And so it's for any of you who might be dealing with parents or, you know, uh, family members who are dealing with chronic illness and may not have the community that you have, um, that this type of model is something that you can actively seek out. So for any of you who've ever tried to help a parent with a difficult health journey, you know, I've, I've been in that scenario. It can be really kind of energy consuming to really be there. And it's so essential, whether that's for weight loss or chronic disease, but to really keep people accountable for the behaviors that they know they need to do to stay healthy can be a lot. So I think that, you know, really embracing this type of conversation for yourself or for people that you love, that you care for is another really practical way to consider this conversation. Um, and I think also, you know, just thinking about like so much of this and who this impacts, like what, what I'm taking away from this is, is underserved communities who, again, don't have access to the type of healthcare that I can go by just going to Parsley Health and seeing Robin or talking to Mark. And so it's, it's so powerful. And I really do think hopefully it can be really practical for people who are looking at these kinds of things. And so, and so for people who want to catch up with you, there's obviously the book that's coming out and yeah. then best place is functional forum or functional forums, the show the evolution of medicine is like the doctor facing brand where people can learn how to do group visits and they can get on board with the movement um, from a physician side and uh, yeah on the patient on the you know consumer side um, watch this space beautiful man well do thank you so much for the work and shedding light on this it is fascinating to see you know hopefully where this is headed and, and you painted a really beautiful picture about how much it's needed so I'm happy that we have you on the front lines and thank you so much for coming on the show thanks Andrew thank you pleasure man <laughs> All right, signing off. We will see you guys next week.